Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Here ends the New Testament reading. Thank you for the reading. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. Um, it's my wife's uh, first time in the refurbished church building. But more than the building, it's great to be with you all and recognize some old faces. Well, I should say familiar faces uh, and also new faces as well. Um, as John said, I, my name's Ben Cadu Hudson. I work over at the Jesmond site with international students from around the world. Uh, we try to share the good news with them as they come to us and send them back with the good news of Jesus to their, their home countries. And I've been invited this morning to come to speak to you on this week of your giving review. And my, my passage is the one that's just been read, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. So let me make a start. Well, last uh, year, our multi-site church family gave over £263,000 through the Jesmond Trust to World Mission. And that's not the only giving overseas that went on, because many of you gave directly to missionaries you know, or to mission agencies. And the question is this. When there's so much ministry going on in Newcastle, and we want to see that grow, why give money to World Mission and to other ministries here in the UK which don't benefit us directly? There's so much going on around us, so much needs immediately here. Why give money to uh, ministries overseas and around the country which don't benefit us directly? And that, we're going to find the answer, I think, in Philippians chapter 4. But before we do that, let me pray. Father God, please open our eyes to the opportunities for mission both here and around the world and help us to be better mission partners ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, if Ken is telling me the truth, which I'm sure he is, 
Um, then I gather you've done Philippians as a sermon series about, about a year ago. But um, let me just remind you of the background of, um, of that book before we move into chapter 4. Paul is the mission partner, and he's in prison in Rome on trial. He's writing to the Christians in Philippi, which is a city in Macedonia, which is his main supporting church. In chapter 2, verses 25 to 30, we learn that there's this man called Epaphroditus who's gone from Macedonia, from the church, all the way to Rome with these gifts for Paul. And under our section in chapter 4, Paul is basically saying thank you for this financial gift. And my first point is this. Both my points, forgive me, are quite long, but I'll repeat them twice, so don't worry. So the first point, Paul rejoices that the Philippians have recently supported him financially, but insists that he's ultimately dependent on Christ to meet his needs. That's in verses 10 to 14. Paul rejoices that the Philippians have recently supported him financially, but he insists that he's ultimately dependent on Christ to meet his needs. As Jonathan mentioned at the start, many of us will have come across verses 11 to 13 of that passage as a beautiful picture of Christian contentment that we should imitate. And so we should. It's a wonderful example of we, that we should follow. But as you work through the flow of the passage, it's almost as if those verses are bracketed because they're a, a, they are a qualification of the statement that Paul makes in verse 10. So let me read that through again. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Open brackets. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who who strengthens me. Close brackets. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now the question is, Um, why does Paul speak in this way? I mean, he seems to be saying, um, thanks guys for your gift, which I didn't need, but thanks anyway. So it's a bit like um, maybe the Christmas jumper from Auntie Ethel. So thanks for the Christmas jumper, Auntie Ethel, uh, but no thanks, I've already got two, but thanks for the thought all the same. Now what, what is going on here? Well, what's going on is that Paul wants to avoid being misread, and he's trying to express two very important things at the same time without being misunderstood, which, as all of us know, is a challenge. Firstly, he wants to express genuine gratitude to the Philippians for their financial gift, so that the Philippians know that he really values their gospel partnership. And that's in verse 10 and 14. And can I say, that's true of us uh, on the staff here at our multi-site church. The money that we need and our families need to live on doesn't grow on trees of any variety. It comes from you and others in the other um, sites. And we are enormously grateful to God for your generosity. And it means that we can be set apart to serve you and others in the ministry God's called us to. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Secondly, at the same time, Paul wants to insist that he's ultimately dependent on Christ to meet all his needs, 
so that the Philippians themselves don't feel under pressure to give. He doesn't want them to feel that if for whatever reason they're unable to provide for him in the future, that he will be destitute and without hope. And we see that in verses 11 to 13. And likewise, I I hope very much that this two-week giving review that we're going through together isn't a time when any of you would feel pressured into giving. No, because as a church family and a church staff, we ultimately trust the Lord to meet all of our needs. So that's the first point. Paul rejoices that the Philippians have supported him financially, but insists that he is ultimately dependent on Jesus Christ to meet all of his needs. Secondly, verses 15 to 20, Paul reflects on the long-standing gospel partnership with the Philippians and reassures them that God will bless them spiritually and meet all their future needs. So Paul reflects on the long-standing gospel partnership he has with the Philippian church and reassures them that in the future God will meet all their needs and bless them spiritually. Here in this section, it's as if Paul steps back and just surveys a timeline of gospel partnership between them. He's enjoyed a great partnership with these guys over the years, over the past, in the present, and he looks forward to it continuing in the future. And we can do that too with some of our long-standing mission partners like Andy and Mailing Wilson, who are with us in Newcastle, and I believe have visited uh, you guys here. So Paul starts off with this long, uh, warm, sorry, nostalgic look back to the past, So look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. You see, the Philippians were simply the best. They really were better than all the rest. They stood out in their partnership with Paul for two reasons. That firstly, they were the first church to commit to supporting Paul in his Mediterranean missions. They gave when others were not giving. And surely that's a reminder for us to be generous in giving to good gospel causes, even when others have not yet caught the vision or are not able to give. But secondly, they continued to meet Paul's needs. Even when it was tough, they sent help again and again. And surely that's a reminder for us to stick at it in supporting our mission partners. Sometimes they're not able to visit us often. Maybe we don't even know who they are. We've never actually met them. Yet let's continue to support them. And it's this combination that fills Paul with great thanks as he looks back over the the past of the gospel partnership, their eagerness to begin supporting him and their eagerness to continue. And that's why I think it's great that from day one, St. Joseph's Benwell has been stepping up to support mission partners around the world, like Andy and Rose Roberts in Brazil. You pray for those mission partners in your home groups. You give to support them financially. Praise God for that. May that be the start of a long and fruitful partnership. So that's the past. Now Paul moves on to talking about gospel partnership in the present. So verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now in verse 17, we've got another not that that we met earlier in the passage. 
Um, and that qualifies what Paul has just said before. So you, what's going on here? Well, while Paul rejoices in their generous gospel partnership in verses 15 16, he's anxious to make it crystal clear that he doesn't see the gospel partnership as a means for his financial needs to be met, but rather as a means for their spiritual blessing. That's what the gospel partnership is about, not primarily about his financial needs being met, but actually about their, them receiving spiritual blessing. And for us today, surely that is the reason to give. Not, oh no, oh, a giving review, another charity hassling me and trying to get me to take away my hard-earned cash. I mean, leave it off. But then I suppose if I don't give, all the church buildings are going to fall down and all the staff will have to retrain. Oh, fine. No. We, we should be thinking, oh yes, another giving review. What a blessing it is to give financially with the money that God has provided me to give some of that to gospel work. I want to be a part of what God is doing here and all around the world and to reap the spiritual benefits of that. So that's the past, the present, and finally, gospel partnership in the future. And here Paul is sensitively addressing the concern that Philippians feel that maybe if they continue to give sacrificially and generously that... Maybe they'll be in financial need in the future. They'll, they'll be in trouble. And verse 19 is a word of reassurance. Verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. He's assuring them that God will continue to meet their needs as they continue to support him. Now, I don't know, has anyone here been bungee jumping before? No one? Okay, that's fine. I haven't either. I've never done it. I think it does look very scary, doesn't it? You can imagine going to the edge and looking down and thinking, ooh, is the rope going to hold? I don't know. I've never tried it before. Well, maybe that's the situation you're in with your giving. You've got the giving review and you're thinking, ooh, do I take the bungee jump and start giving for the first time? Is the, is the rope going to hold? Well, the message from verse 19 is loud and clear. The rope will hold. God will provide what you need. And also, for those of you who are in the habit of giving regularly and you're thinking in financially uncertain times, can I continue to give like this? Will I not lose out? Will I not have enough to live on? Well, again, verse 19, that the rope is going to hold. God will look after you. So we've seen a wonderful, a beautiful picture of a gospel partnership between Paul and the church in Philippi. It's a model for us to be following here today. Two challenges for us as we close, two questions. Like the Philippian church, are we eager to continue to meet the needs of our current mission partners? Are we eager to continue to meet the needs of our current mission partners? After the Brexit vote, because of the devaluation of the pound, many missionaries around the world have lost up to 40% of their regular support. And the people we support as our mission partners are not super spiritual Christians who think, oh, 40% less, water off a duck's back, no problem. No. These anxieties weigh on them. They, they've got to provide for themselves and their families. For example, John and Lisa Short, who support, who uh, train students in evangelism in Madrid, and in response to the example of the Philippian church and the wider 
financial situation, I wonder if we should consider if we could give more to meet their regular needs, just as the Philippians did. We might not be able to, but could we? Could we do more to meet their needs? Second question. Like the Philippian church, are we eager to send out new mission partners, both here and around the world? Like the Philippian church, are we eager to send out new mission partners here and around the world? You see, the Philippian church was the first church out of the blocks to send Paul off on mission. And what an honor that was. Well, like the Philippian church, could we send out new mission partners? Mission agencies around the world observe that fewer and fewer longer people are being sent out in mission. And that they are finding it harder and harder to raise financial support. Well, could we send out new mission partners, both young and old? As Britain becomes more multicultural, there are more and more opportunities here on our doorstep. As I mentioned earlier, I work with international students. Half a million international students, nearly half a million, come to the UK every year to study. 10,000 of them in Newcastle. It's a great privilege to be able to serve them here. But there are other cities in the northeast which have international students, like Middlesbrough and Sunderland, that don't have very much international student work going on. Could we send people to serve them, to reach them with the gospel? Then there's people who've come from other cultures to set up home here in this country, like my wife, who came over from Italy very bravely nearly seven years ago to marry me. And that's like many of you here this morning, over in that category as well. Now, some of the ethnic groups in our countries have very enthusiastic Christians, but other ethnic groups are almost entirely unreached with the gospel. Well, what can we do about this opportunity we have? Well, what about the 80,000-strong Pakistani community in Bradford? Could we send evangelists to reach them? Or what about the 14,000 Italians who live in Bedford? Or the 280,000 Turkish Cypriots who live in London? And that's just in the UK. The opportunities around the world are enormous. Many parts of Europe and the Middle East need pioneer church planters, people who are going to go there and start churches, like the Apostle Paul did on his missions, which the Philippians supported him in. In Romans chapter 15, verses 19 to 21, he wrote this. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now in Turkey, 0.01% of the population are evangelical Christians. That's one in 10,000 people. For example, if Benwell was a small town in Turkey, there would be literally one or maybe two believers. Literally. Compare that to us here this morning and the other churches in the area. Turkey is a spiritual desert which needs the reign of the gospel. Could we send someone with a profession to go and live there and work there and pray for the advance of the gospel there? And in some of the Balkan states where, I gather, Robin and Alice Whaley have been with you uh, these last few months, in the Balkan states, the spiritual situation is not much better than Turkey. But different to Turkey, the doors are open for the gospel there. For example, in Serbia, 
less than 0.1% of the population are evangelical Christians, one in a thousand. But I recently read an article about a fruitful Christian university mission there. It was run openly in the capital with assistance from British Christians. The doors are open. Could Robin and Alice Whaley be the first of a line of mission partners that we send to that needy region? There are so many opportunities. What amazing opportunities we have to be a part of God's work, both here and around the world through our financial giving. Let's pray for God's help to make the most of the opportunities he's given us and not to miss out on the blessings. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for speaking to us through Philippians chapter 4. And we pray that you would enable us to give generously to support our current mission partners and help us also to send out more mission partners in the coming years. In Jesus' name, amen.